God, we need your presence this morning. Lord, you are the one who takes us from earth up into your heavenly realm as we worship the King of kings and Lord of lords. So we welcome the presence and power of your Holy Spirit now, Lord. Your word is living and active. It divides between joint and marrow, revealing and exposing the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. It lays everything open before the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. So, Lord, we pray that your word would open us today and that your love would flood our hearts, that you would bring purity, that you would bring your power, your presence into our lives to transform us. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Good morning, everyone. It's so good to be with you on this day of celebration. Uh, We will be baptizing Marla Buckwald and Glenn Leland and Matthew Johnson, so that's exciting. And we're going to do that in uh, just a few moments. I would like to just share uh, from the Word for a moment. I picked this Romans reading in particular because it's particularly relevant to baptism, as well as the Old Testament reading from Ezekiel. But baptism is a beautiful and profound thing. And unfortunately, in modern Western Christian culture, in many circles, it's kind of just become a formal dead ritual that you do because it's a family tradition and it's actually devoid of life. And so I don't want anybody uh, to think that what we're doing today is some rote ritual or a means of fire insurance. It means you won't go to hell when you die or something like that because baptism is actually the sign outward of the unmatchable power of the gospel, which is the power of God unto salvation. It's the power of God to bring men and women who are outside of his presence back into his presence where they are meant to live their lives now and for all of eternity. So baptism is a big deal. And I want to look, have you look with me at uh, Romans chapter 6 today. But first, I want to kind of just paint a picture of why do we do baptism and what's the big deal and what's up with the water and dunking people in water and pulling them back out. And that's kind of weird. Well, I want to talk about baptism, but it's baptism will not make sense to you unless we understand and first remember what the heart of the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ is. And so I want to just present to you today and remind us all of the simple truth of the gospel and what it is in its power. And then we'll talk about why baptism is such plays such an important role in the Christian life. Everybody awake this morning. Everybody had their coffee. Good. Need to stretch, kind of roll your shoulders a little bit. Take a deep breath. I know the pews, you can kind of get comfortable there and start to get snoozy after a minute, but I'm going to do my best to uh, keep you awake. So what is the gospel? That's the question that I want to ask. What is the good news? Because people hear that word gospel and they think uh, it's a certain kind of choir music, which it is. It's a great kind of music. Uh, or people just have, sometimes people have a bad association with that word gospel. Uh, and they don't know. Some people have a bad experience of Christianity altogether and they don't really understand exactly what is the gospel. Some people think the gospel means uh, you have to get yourself living a really good moral life so that God will accept you. But that's actually not the gospel. The Bible tells us a story. The Bible is one unified story from beginning to end. And the Bible tells us a story of humanity and of creation and of history. And it tells us that we were created in God's image and we were meant to reflect him in the world. But our 
forefather and foremother, Adam and Eve, were deceived into disobeying God and essentially welcomed that nasty power called sin into the world. And it really broke and it shattered the world. And the world was no longer in its pristine state as God intended it to be for humans to flourish and to live in his presence. And Adam and Eve, essentially what happens to them is because they choose willfully to rebel against God as they are exiled from his presence because God is good and holy and pure and he can't have sinfulness in his presence. And so Adam and Eve being kicked out of the garden in Eden is a picture of all of humanity having to be, in a sense, exiled from God's presence because we all have now received, unfortunately, uh, that infection into our hearts. And so we're born into a, into a place where um, we, by nature, actually are in rebellion against God. I know it's like, whoa, what? That's just crazy already. What is this guy talking about? But in, in, I have a three and a five-year-old, okay? So I can tell you there's living proof that even from a very young age, rebellion lies in the human heart. But th- that's the bad news, okay? That's the bad news, and you have to know the bad news before the good news can really become good news to you. So we're all born into that state, and while God loves us, because of his own purity and his own beauty and glory, he has had to remove us from his presence. That's what it means to be living in sin, you're under a power that causes you to do things that are in rebellion against God, that causes you to think that you run your life and you don't need God to run your life and you will not bend the knee or bow your head. Thank you very much. I am in control. That's what it means to live under the power of sin. It's separation from God's presence. And the problem with that is that we were created, we were designed intricately and beautifully by God to be his dwelling place and to live in his presence where there is security, blessing, and unfathomable love and protection, okay? But so humans, they, 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 they come of age and they rediscover that they have a will and that will is very heavily influenced by the power of sin. And so, but there's sort of an opposite desire in us as well at the same time simultaneously. And that, that other desire in us is that we actually want security and blessing and we want wholeness and we want to feel like there's meaning to our life but those two powers are opposed because when i live under the power of sin and i want to run my own life i can't come into the presence of god where i can find those other things that my heart desires this is why we need good news because that's bad news that's the human predicament it's the human condition that we're all in and if you don't believe me that humanity is still under that power and under that condition you can turn on the six o'clock news tonight or whatever it is open up facebook and look at your news feed and tell me that humanity is not deeply broken i dare you to tell me that (laughs) it's so clear to all of us that there's a problem with the world and i mean right now the world i think is really really being out of control i mean am i the only one who thinks that Things are crazy, right? The economy, viruses, plagues, pestilence, flooding in Africa. I mean, there is, the world is just in, in a state of chaos right now, and we need some good news. We need some good news. And the good news tells us this. The Bible says that God looked down on humans who were in rebellion against him, essentially giving him the finger and saying, no, thanks. I'm on my own. I don't really need you in my life. And it says that God looked down upon them. And while he is their sin angered him, it said that he still loved them. He still loved us. And the gospel is that this man, Jesus, was born and he goes around and he starts doing good and teaching things and he starts teaching about something called the kingdom of god and he tells people the kingdom of god the reign of god as a king is among you and then he says repent that means turn around 
and believe the good news. Come into this kingdom. And the way that he invited people to do that was with two words. He said, follow me. That's how you enter God's kingdom. You turn around from your old way of life. You turn towards Jesus and you begin to follow him. You put your whole trust and your whole faith in him. And Glenn and Matthew and Marla know all about that because this is a pretty newfound reality for them to be walking with the Lord in this way. And it's been beautiful to see the transformation in their lives. But the gospel is not something that any of them earned. They didn't wake up one day and say, I'm going to get my act together and clean up myself and then God will accept me. That's not what happens. What happens is that God's spirit begins to speak to the human heart and begins to make it aware that something is not right. That it is far from God. And that is called God's grace. That is called the power of God waking us up from a slumber to make us know that something needs to change. This morning at about 8 o'clock in my office, my cell phone went, emergency alert, tornado warning. Did anybody else get that this morning? Take cover. And when God starts moving in the hearts of people to make the gospel real to them, it's like that. It's like a wake-up call. Wake up from your slumber. Jesus Christ is shining on you, and he wants to raise you up from the death, the death slumber of sin that you're in and bring you into the Father's presence. That's the gospel, and the gospel is good news because, see, you don't have to do anything to get God to do something for you. The gospel is about something God has already done. It's the word gospel, it's a Greek word, and it means good news. Okay, that's important. It doesn't mean good advice or good counsel or instructions on how to get yourself right with God. It means good news. Well, what is news? It's a report of something that has already happened. So the gospel is about what God has done. What, God, what has God done? I'm glad you asked. God looked at the predicament of human beings and in his love decided that he would send his son, his eternal son, whom he enjoyed eternal fellowship and loving communion with, who is willing to go to go into the world to be born of human flesh and blood to uh, to connect with us in the flesh and blood and to identify with us in all of our brokenness and to bring healing and salvation into this big mess that we are all in and that's why when Jesus walks around throughout Galilee and Capernaum and all of these places in ancient uh, Palestinian world, his life is marked by healing sickness and setting people free from demons and, and demonic dark oppression and raising people from the dead. Because all of those miracles that Jesus constantly walked in were signs of God, what God wants to do for you and me spiritually as well. And that is to make us whole. But the only way that we can be whole is to be reconciled to our Heavenly Father and be brought back into His presence. And thankfully, God, it's not uh, just some sort of distant, grumpy, aloof, um, I don't know, uncle or dad who does, just doesn't care about his kids that he's disowned. He's a father with a passionate and compassionate heart who, who chases us down. We sing that song, Reckless Love. Oh, the reckless love of God. He does. He goes up mountains and into valleys to find us, to call our name, 
because he doesn't want us to stay in a state of separation from him because, you see, all of us will die one day and give an account for our life and whether or not we responded to the grace that God was extending us in Jesus Christ. And if we never did, if we said no thanks all the way until we die, that separation from God will continue for all of eternity because you're a soul, you're a spiritual being, not just a body. You're a body and a soul together. And God says in the Bible, I don't want anyone to perish. I don't want anyone to be separated from me because I created them for fellowship with me because I love them and I want everyone to be in eternal fellowship with me. But I cannot abide the presence of sin. So the big problem that has to be solved is that this infection that we all have has to be healed. This, um, this sin leprosy, if you will, it needs to be cleansed. Well, how is that going to happen? Jesus was always talking about his own death. Strange fellow. Always talking about his own death. Did you see the fellow, the carpenter from Nazareth, talking about his own death again? Why does he keep going on and on about his death? I don't know, Bartimaeus. He's just a strange guy. But all I know is that a whole lot of people are getting healed and set free from evil when they get around him. Because his whole life was centered around his death, that he came for this reason to go to the cross on Calvary to take on all the sin of the world, yours and mine, all of it. Okay, let's just share an illustration that I saw with you. So all of us, the Bible says that Jesus bore our iniquity and our sin on the cross. And so all of us, we walk around with a heavy weight in our lives. And this is the weight of sin and separation from God. And we try to do different things with it. We try to do a lot of good things so that it can start to feel a little bit lighter and we feel less sinful. But then we discover over time that there's something in our hearts that keeps making us selfish. Keeps making us angry and full of rage. Keeps making us full of lust and pride and greed. And then we try to pretend like it's not there and we hide it by entertaining ourselves. And indulging in pleasure and finding a spiritual path of our own where we can still remain to be God. But the truth is, is that this weight of sin and this power of separation from our Father is still really on us. That's the reality if we could pull back the veil and see it. And Jesus came into the world. God himself came into the world in the person of his Son and took on flesh. And when we encounter him, he says, come to me. All you who are weary and heavily burdened, and I will give you rest. And so when we look to him for forgiveness, not for for self-improvement, but for forgiveness, we say, I'm a sinner, Jesus, and I need you. This is what happened on the cross. He took this heavy burden, separation and sin. The Bible says, he who knew no sin became sin for us on the cross. Well, look what that means for you and me. We are now able to connect with our Father in heaven and come back into his presence because we've been cleansed of sin. Now, it doesn't mean that we never go on and make any mistakes or anything like that or that we don't fall into sin. That old nature, that old man still raises its ugly head sometimes, but it's not our nature anymore. We've got a new nature, and it's the nature, it's the Jesus nature. The Bible calls it becoming a new creation. And Jesus bore that weight of sin on that cross. And when he was buried, he took sin and death and the punishment for it all, and he buried it in the grave, and he rose from the dead and was ascended into his throne in heaven. So when someone 
like a Marla or a Matthew or a Glenn or any of us turn our eyes to Jesus, that weight and that power and that burden of sin has come off of us. Well, now there's something that needs to be done, and it's that God calls us to put our faith in Jesus, but then he says to be baptized. Well, why does he say that? Let's just look at this Romans passage for just a moment before we get into the baptism. It's Romans chapter 6. If you have a Bible, you can follow along in the bulletin. Uh, If you don't, this is a letter, an ancient letter that St. Paul wrote to the church in Rome. And he says this, and so this is where we're going to get into the meaning of baptism and salvation. He says, don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? So what he's saying is that when Jesus died 2,000 years ago, essentially we died with him. But the evidence of that is not yet manifest in our life until we put our trust in him. And when we put our trust in him, we also submit to the waters of baptism. And baptism is an outward picture of that. The old person is going down under that water and being buried. And coming back up into a new life. Just as Jesus came back from the grave, out of the ground, to walk in newness of life. And baptism is a powerful picture That we were buried with Christ. We chose now a person in the modern day, a Marla or a Matthew or a Glenn, has made a decision because they felt God's spirit stirring in their hearts to say, you're not on the right path. I want to bring you home into my presence. And they responded with faith. And then they're responding by giving themselves into the waters of baptism. And what they're doing is saying, I identify with him, the one who bore my sin on the cross. So when you're baptized and you go into the water, it's a picture of coming into this profound spiritual union with Jesus and identifying with him in his death, going under the water and coming up new. It's an outward sign of what has been happening in their hearts inwardly already. Does that make sense, everyone? That's what it is. Now, this is important that we understand this idea that we're buried with Christ. A lot of people in their life, they've been taught to say like something called a sinner's prayer or make a decision for Jesus or they were raised in a Christian home. So they just kind of called themselves a Christian, but they went throughout life and struggled and found that they felt far from God and they kept being enslaved to sin and that there were certain things in their life that weren't broken. There was still a burden on their heart. And that's because Jesus says that you can't enter his kingdom unless you're born anew of water in the spirit. And what he means by that, he's using the word water symbolically. He's saying that there has to be a real encounter that you have with God where you know your sins are been cleansed, you've been forgiven, and God's Spirit has come to live in you. Because just a prayer said with our lips or being raised in a Christian home does not make us safe. It does not take the burden of sin from us. Coming to Jesus and saying, I am a sinful man. I'm a sinful woman and I've got nothing to offer you, God. Help me. Jesus, forgive me. And the Bible says that anyone who does that believes that Jesus died for their sins and that God raised him from the dead will be saved. So we don't earn it. Salvation is grace. That means it's a gift. It's given to us freely, but it requires 
Now, so far, so good, right? Sounds good. I like the idea of grace and a gift. But we are truly identifying with someone who lived his whole life and then died all for God, Jesus. And we're identifying with him and we're saying, my old life, it's going bye-bye. I'm not the same person that I was and I will not be enslaved to sin and I will not, that's not my nature anymore. And so burial implies death. But it's a beautiful death because it's an identifying with Jesus. Oh, Christian believers, some of us have been believers for a long time and we haven't yet like fully grasped the idea that we died 2,000 years ago with Jesus and by faith we actually walk in the reality that we are dead. I want to tell you a quick story from a, a, a Chinese gentleman named Watchman Nee who uh, was around in uh, the old days, we'll just say, in China as a Christian minister. And he was trying to grasp this concept of concept of what it meant to be identified with Jesus in his death. And this is what he says. I remember one morning. That morning was a real morning and one I can never forget. I was upstairs sitting at my desk reading the word and praying. And I said, Lord, open my eyes. And in a flash, I saw it. I saw my oneness with Christ. I saw that I was in him and that when he died, I died. I saw that the question of my death was a matter of the past and not of the future and that I was just as truly dead as he was because I was in him when he died. The whole thing had dawned upon me. I was carried away with such joy at this great discovery that I jumped from my chair and cried, Praise the Lord, I am dead! I ran downstairs and met one of the brothers helping in the kitchen and I laid hold of him. Brother, I said, do you know that I have died? I must admit he looked puzzled. What do you mean, he said. So I went on. Do you not know that Christ has died? Do you not know that I died with him? Do you not know that my death is no less truly a fact than his? Oh, it was so real to me. I longed to go through the streets of Shanghai shouting the news of my discovery. From that day to this, I have never for one moment doubted the finality of that word. I have been crucified with Christ. But the death is beautiful because the death is what leads to life. The death is what leads to life. Now look at what Paul says in Romans. Verse 5, for if we have been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. In verse 4, he says that Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of Father so that we too may live a new life. Everybody say new life. New life. New life. That's what Jesus offers you. Jesus doesn't offer you some VIP pass into heaven so that you can make sure you get there when you die. Jesus offers you a new life right now. And that, that's why those of us who know and have watched Glenn and Marla and Matthew, we've seen, a, we've seen a transformation begin in their hearts. We've seen a hunger for the word of God. We've seen a hunger to put away things from the old life that they know were idols, that they know were distractions from Jesus. And they've said no to that stuff and they said yes to Jesus. And the reason that we see that happening is because the spirit of God has come to live in them because they have put their trust in Jesus and he is making them new. It's glorious. It's glorious. Jesus offers that new life to everybody here today. It's a free gift. I lived, my parents taught me about that life when I was a little kid, but I decided that when I was a teenager that I was going to run my own life. Thank you. I don't need you, God. I think church is boring. So why would I need that? 
And I ran my life for 10 years. And I realized I can't ignore it. I can't ignore it. The burden of sin is intolerable. The burden of separation from my Father's presence where I was created to live in joy is intolerable. And finally, the grace of God, I surrendered it. And I laid it all on him because he bore it all. He paid it all. And Marla and Matthew and Glenn, you guys, you're getting buried today. (laughs) You can run around and tell your friends, I'm dead. Hallelujah. My old self that is controlled by the power of sin, my old existence, it's gone. And I've been raised to new life. I've been raised to new life by the power of God. Friends, that is the power of the gospel unto salvation. Jesus changes lives. Jesus heals lives. Jesus can set you free from any captivity. It doesn't matter how much you're thinking. I'm so far from him. I don't even know if I could ever believe. I don't know. I've done so many horrible things. And Jesus says, come to me and I'll give you rest. Unshoulder your burdens. I will walk with you through life. I have paid the price for you to live in my presence. All right. Matthew, Marla, Glenn, if you guys would just stand up for a minute, I just want to speak over your lives for a minute before we do this. You can come down, Matthew. Why don't you guys just come kind of close to the front. Everybody doing okay? Yeah, good. I believe the Lord really dwells his presence in a powerful way when someone has been born again and is getting ready to undergo the waters of baptism. The Lord's presence is here. I just want to speak over you guys for a minute, and I've watched all of you, some for different periods of time, uh, growing and seen seen you set free and um, delivered into the freedom that is in Christ, and I see the hunger in all of your lives to grow and to learn and to serve Christ, and what I see in all three of you is, is great humility. But I'd like to just address each of you um, with a word for just a moment. And Glenn, I'll start with you. And what I see in you is such a tender-hearted man who realizes the beauty and glory of Jesus and that he's the only thing that matters. And I see a man who's pressing in and diving deep into the waters of his faith and his walk with the Lord. And God is going to bless that. And he's going to use you to reach others. They're going to see your tender-heartedness and say, what's up with that guy? And they're going to know that that compassion and that love and that humility comes from the Lord and his hand is on your life to use that to reach others. Amen. Marla, (laughs) you you are so blessed and so gifted by God as a, a servant and as someone who desires, I see that you're someone who desires um, other people to be made whole. And it is going to be something that God gives you a deeper and deeper compassion for people who are suffering, who are lost, and who you want to come to know him, and he'll put his fatherly heart in your heart as you cry out to him and you pray in the secret place. He'll put that 
desire and he'll burn it in your heart so that you carry his heart with you as you as you share your faith with others um, as you see the freedom that it has brought to you and god is going to bless that and use you greatly and i want you to have great expectations for the way that god is going to reveal things to you in prayer about how to share your faith and be a witness to other people about the freedom that is in christ and god's also given you hungry mind to learn uh, about not only your own faith but about what other people believe so that you're able to engage in gracious dialogue with them in the hopes of leading them to the beauty and the truth of jesus so i just speak that over your life in jesus name matthew um, you are a man of god and don't let anyone ever tell you otherwise you are a servant of the living god and you are so gifted in ways that you haven't even recognized yet and god is going to use you to touch people's lives and your ministry to us here at good shepherd is so valued it's one of the ministries that most of us don't see because you're hidden up there in the sound booth but we have sound and things work and microphones set up and all of that because largely because matthew is up there making sure that all those things run he's being a hum he's being humble he's not asking people to acknowledge him and so matthew god has given you the gift of a humble heart and he has given you many gifts of knowledge and wisdom of his word and god has given you a special gift to when you read his word to have insight and revelation not only into the information but into the reality that that word calls you into and calls us into and so i want to encourage you to make that knowledge and that wisdom of the word um shared with others i want you to know how to get others excited and encouraged about reading the bible like you are because you know that there's something there that jesus is waiting there to meet them so i bless you in jesus name okay so the last thing that i want to say is this and it's kind of sort of practical but also it's spiritual but um baptism we had a passage actually last week in our gospel about Jesus' baptism. And when Jesus was baptized, he wasn't getting baptized to repent of sin. He was getting baptized to identify with our humanity. And when Jesus came out of the water, it says that heaven was opened over him and that the Holy Spirit, God's Spirit, descended on him in the form of a dove. Okay? He took, the Spirit of God took the form of a dove. And it came upon Jesus, and he heard a voice come from heaven that said, You are my beloved Son. With you I am well pleased. And so I want to point out a couple things about that really quick. Um, one is that in putting your faith and trust in Jesus and then go, submitting to the waters of baptism and rising up, God says the very same thing over you because you are now in Christ. And so when God looks down upon you coming out of these waters, he said, you are my beloved son, you are my beloved daughter with whom I am well pleased. Okay, he's pleased with you because he sees Jesus in you. And the second thing is, is that... Um, when the Holy Spirit descended on Jesus, this was at the very beginning of his public ministry. And what the gospel authors say next is that it says, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, dot, 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 and he went into his ministry. And so when we give our lives to Jesus, we are emptying ourselves out of us, right? We're getting buried. The old man is going away and something new is coming. And the way that that newness of life comes into us is through the power of God's spirit coming down and filling us. And Jesus went from his baptism out into public ministry and great spiritual power to proclaim the kingdom of God with signs and wonders and healing and miracles accompanying 
Now, it's hard in our modern scientific kind of mindset to think about miracles and us even being able to have gifts to do things like that. But Jesus said that those who believe in me will do the same things that I do. They will do even greater things than these. And so God wants to use you in supernatural ways. When you come out of these waters of baptism, you should have the expectation. We're going to pray for you. Our prayer team is going to pray for you and lay hands on you. But when you come out of the waters of baptism, I want you to lift your hands to heaven and receive what God has for you, whatever it is. Because something really is happening and there will be gifts of the Holy Spirit given to you, imparted to you, activated in you when you do that. Does that make sense? And you're, like Jesus, going to go forth from the baptismal tub and you're going to go out into the world and you're going to make him known in many different ways with the gifts that he has given to you to make his name known. Okay, sound good? Sit down for a minute. I think we should baptize them at this point. (laughs) So what I'd like is... um, the three of you to come over here. Now, I want to, I, I don't want people to feel like, oh, it's a baptism. We've got to make sure we do everything right. And is this one of those churches? We're pretty laid back here. So I want you all have a pretty good view right here. But for those of you who may, might need to move a little bit to be able to see better, feel free. We've got plenty of open seats today. If you want to move around, this is a little bit of a free-for-all for the next 60 seconds or so. If you want to get a good view, um, just kind of keep this area clear right here for me, for the prayer ministers, and the, the candidates. And Father Dave, if you would come over here with me. And Rick, if you would come up and you'll be my assistant here on the other side. Oh, this is exciting. It's a a family gathering. I would. Yeah, I would. Yeah. And baptismal candidates, you might want to pop your shoes off. And if you didn't bring an extra pair of socks, you can take those off too. We're standing on holy ground anyway, so (laughs) thank you. Very good. So once everything gets in place, um, if the sponsors for uh, the baptizees, I keep wanting to call them the, bat- the baptismal candidates, if the sponsors, uh, Whitney, if you want to come up and stand with Marla, and Laura, if you want to stand with Glenn, and Dixie, if you will stand with Matthew. Okay, there you are. Very good. So the way that we're going to start this baptism today, this comes from our prayer book, our worship book in the Episcopal Church. And I'm going to ask a series of questions. You're going to need a bulletin to, to, to help. And you sponsors can hold up the bulletin for the candidates so that they can read because they're going to need to read these uh, responses. It's all good. We'll get all comfortable. We'll get what we need. We're good. We got time. It's nasty outside anyway. So who wants to go out? today we can just stay in here all day and party okay all right we got what we need and 
congregation, this first part, I'm going to be addressing the candidates for baptism. This comes from a very ancient, as far back as the 4th century liturgy, where the idea is, is that before you submit yourself to the waters of baptism, you are actually renouncing all the powers of evil first and then saying, I proclaim Jesus as Lord. And they actually considered it an exorcism in the early days of the church. And we won't do this next part, but what they used to do is they would start the candidates by facing west and they would renounce Satan and all of his powers and they would spit. And then they would turn to the east and, re- and proclaim Jesus as Lord. I'm not kidding. I'm not making this up. I won't make you guys spit. Uh, we're inside. So, and Father Dave is right in front of you. So we don't want to do that. But what we do want to do is give you the opportunity to openly and publicly renounce Satan and his kingdom of darkness and turn to the kingdom of light and announce Jesus as Lord. Sound good? So just follow along. There's answers right there. There's um, Responses right there in the book and congregation. You can just kind of quietly join in in prayer and then we'll all join in together after this Marla Matthew and Glenn do you renounce Satan and all the spiritual forces of wickedness that rebel against God? Do you renounce the evil powers of this world which corrupt and destroy the creatures of God? Do you renounce all sinful desires that draw you from the love of God? Now, do you turn to Jesus Christ and accept him as your Savior? I do. do you promise to follow and obey him as your Lord? I do. Will you who witness these vows, that's all of us, do all in your power to support these persons in their life in Christ? We will. Amen. Now, together, everyone, with those who are committing themselves to Christ and for those who have others who have been baptized in the past, what we are going to do together is renew our commitment to Christ by uh, responding with these words from the creed. So together we do this. Do you believe in God the Father? I believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. Do you believe in Jesus Christ, the Son of God? I believe in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord. He was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit and was born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead. Do you believe in God, the Holy Spirit? I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting. Will you continue in the apostles teaching and fellowship in the breaking of bread and in the prayers? Will you persevere in resisting evil and whenever you fall into sin, repent and return to the Lord? Will you proclaim by word and example the good news of God in Christ? Will Will you strive for justice and peace among all people and respect the dignity of every human being? At this time, I'm going to uh, do what's called the thanksgiving over the water, which is just kind of a blessing of the water and asking God to sanctify it, set it apart and use it for his holy purposes. So you all can just kind of listen in as I do this. I'm going to roll up my sleeve. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this incredible day that is the sign that you are still at work in the world and in the hearts of people. 
I thank you, Lord, that you today, by the Lamb of God and the blood that he shed, you have made these three people new creations. And, Lord, I thank you for this water, Lord, that is common water from the hose, from the tap. But, Lord, we ask that you would put your blessing, your spirit would come upon it, and that it would become for us holy water, that it would become the waters of baptism in which those who are immersed are united with Christ now and sealed as his own forever. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.